Welcome again to Grace Bible Church this morning. This morning we're going to introduce the fourth of five walks form the structure of Ephesians 4 through 6. The, the sermon title today is Walking in the Light of Christ. Today we will set the stage for verses 6 through 10 by looking at uh, what we would call the motif of light and darkness from, from the Scripture. Toward the end of the sermon, we'll begin to study these verses. Let me just say, church, that we live in a dark world, do we not? A world which threatens to grow even darker with each passing day. And this is a significant truth for the church because as the church, we are to be the light. Light in our homes, light in our communities, light in our nations, and light in our world. Beloved, you as a Christian might be the only light that some people ever really see. True light, that is. Well, we've made it to Ephesians 5, 6-10, where Paul calls the church at Ephesus to walk in the light. Now, we don't have to make much of a jump, right, to say that as Christians, we are called to walk in the light of Christ. This is true because Jesus is the source of light. You may recall that Genesis chapter 1 reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said... Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning one day. So, from the very beginning, we see the light versus darkness motif. We see this begin to play itself out in the world. And we see that God is the source of light, and we see that the darkness cannot overcome that light. And when we're walking in the light of Christ, when you and I, as Christians, when we're walking in the light of of Christ, that darkness will not, cannot overcome us. It has been said that all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. Just imagine... Just imagine that if we're walking in the light of Christ, our light cannot be extinguished. All the darkness in the world could not overcome the glory of the incomparable Christ. And all the darkness in the world cannot overcome you or I if we are in Christ. Let me pray for this sermon and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning thanking you for our time of gathering, this time of singing, time of reading your word, praying. Lord, we pray that you would be honored by the preaching of the word. Father, we pray that we would, as Christians, that we would walk in the light, that we would not associate ourselves with darkness. 
We thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning in Ephesians 5. In Christ's name, amen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4, the, the Apostle says, Apostle John says or explains that in Him, that is in the Word or in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Earlier I read from Genesis 1, in his gospel, in John's gospel, he picks up on this motif of light and darkness from day one of creation. There's a direct connection from John chapter 1 back to Genesis chapter 1. And it begins with this word light. In other words, John connects the light of creation with Jesus, the Word, Jesus, the Son of God. As Thanksgiving approaches, many of us cannot help but look forward to Christmas, which will arrive in just 40 days from today. But did you know that in 36 days, on December 21st, we will experience the shortest day of the year? Significantly, this day always closely coincides with Christmas Day, just a few days before. And very, very shortly, Christmas decorations will begin to go up all around us. Some of, us. some of you, including some in my home, have already started with Christmas decorations and have already started watching Christmas movies and have already started thinking toward Christmas. As our calendars begin to fill up with holiday parties and fun times, in the next few weeks, we will face the challenge to stay focused on Christ, who is the ultimate reason for our celebration, because of all of this jovial thing, all of these jovial things that are going on around us. But in centuries past, this time of year was a very dark time. As you know, the idea of Christmas has been attacked by our modern culture, as an article for World Magazine pointed out a few years ago, it says this, Critics of Christmas say the Christian holiday is nothing more than an old pagan celebration of winter solstice. Again, that shortest day of the year. For ancient pagans, the winter solstice meant the triumph of darkness. The Druids called it the death of the sun. The fear was that the light would never return unless human beings brought back the light with rituals and sacrifices. After the solstice, of course, the days started to grow longer, which was a big relief and a, and a reason for feasting and celebration. But whereas the pagans observed the solstice in terror, fever, feverishly bringing or keeping fires going, lest the darkness overcome them, Christians turned what was literally the dead of winter into the happiest time of the year. The time of year now meant that when darkness is at its greatest, the light of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born. Gradually, after this time, gradually the, the night is, uh, through the, though the night is still longer than the day throughout the winter, the light increases every day. Finally, the light surpasses the darkness. Said another way, the light trumps the darkness. This occurs just after spring the spring equinox, when the, the darkness equals the light. The, the, the length of the darkness equals the light. That's March around March 21st. Around that time, Christians celebrate Easter. 
The day when Christ rose from the dead, marking his victory over sin, death, the devil, and every darkness. In their seasonal symbolism of light and darkness, Christmas and Easter go together. Christmas marks the beginning of the light, and Easter marks the triumph of the light. Just as the birth of Christ The Christ child marks the beginning of his work, which culminates in the victory of his death and resurrection because of the light of the Messiah, because of the light of Christ, we have reason to celebrate. As such, we come to sing the beloved Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. You see, for Christians, light has a special significance significance because Christ is the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus says this very same thing when he exclaimed to the crowds and to the Pharisees, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now you can briefly turn to John 8 as we set the table for our passage in Ephesians 5. In This passage in John 8, in John 8, you may notice that when you follow Christ, you have Him. And when you have Him, you have Him as the light of life. He says, I am the light, and whoever follows me will have the light. You will have me, he says, as your light. If you follow me, you have me. I am yours. That's what Christ says. But you should notice the last phrase of verse 12. You will have the light. Do you know where we, where there's that, what connection John is making? It's that connection back to John 1 4. We saw the connection between light and life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The the life gives the light. The life that Jesus has, the life that he shares with those who follow him, for those who are in him, that life gives them light. That is, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were blind to the light until Jesus gave us light by His Holy Spirit. At salvation, the eyes of our hearts were opened. We were enlightened to know the hope of His calling and the riches of His glory. And thus we were given the light of life. And this life brings sight to our blind souls. We are given eternal life, and we're given eternal sight. So in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So what does he mean by that? Well, he actually says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Which means that if we don't follow him, if you and I choose not to follow Christ, we do walk in darkness. We walk in the darkness of our hearts and we walk in the darkness of this world. Therefore, 
Christ saying that he's the light of the world doesn't mean that he has removed all darkness from the world. Let me give you a few thoughts regarding this phrase. I believe this will help us. The reason why we're going through this is I hope to help us understand Paul's emphasis in Ephesians 5. First, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. There is no other light but Him. He is the source of light. In other words, it is Christ, Jesus, or darkness. There is no middle ground. There's no other light. It's either you're in Christ or you're in darkness. Do you recall Genesis chapter 1? I just read it earlier. God gave light to the world when there was no sun, moon, and stars. Have you never noticed that? That He doesn't create the sun, moon, and stars till later. But He's given light to the world in the first few verses. What is the source of that light? Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, the Son of God. That's why John, in John chapter 1, connects creation to Jesus, to the Word, because Jesus is the source of light. In Revelation 21, John also gives us a a glimpse of the new Jerusalem. He says this in John 21, 22. He's speaking of the new city Jerusalem. He says this, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Verse 23. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. Do you know why? Do you know why the city didn't have need of this light from the sun or the moon? For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb is who? The Lord Jesus. This points back to creation and shows that the true source of the light is God Himself. Specifically, the source of the light is the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus Himself. <clears throat> goes on to say in Revelation 21, the nations... This is verse 24. So Revelation 21, 24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. You see, that city will be lit by the glory of God eternally. Now let me make another connection for you. Again, we're walking through and trying to understand this motif of light and darkness, understanding the source of light. In Isaiah 42, 6, God said to His servant, I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Now, this is significant because in Isaiah 44, 1, God refers to Israel as His servant. As a matter of fact, if you listen to modern Jews, they refer to themselves as God's servants. Now, I would argue 
that Israel was to be the light of the nations. But they fulfill, they failed to fulfill this charge. Now, I would also argue that this promise will ultimately be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. They will be, in the millennial kingdom, they will be the light of the nations. Or the light to the nations. But that is for another sermon. Or a series of them. But Isaiah does refer to Israel as the Lord's servant. And this servant's vocation was to be righteousness. Yet the nation of Israel was unrighteous. Therefore God sent another who would not fail. Another servant who would not fail and would be truly righteous. He would... He would embody true righteousness. He would embody what Israel, all that Israel was supposed to be. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Whom Isaiah describes in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 49. It is this Messiah, Messiah Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would be the light to the nations. You see the connection. So one who Jesus or that was prophesied to be the light of the nations. Number two, Jesus as the light of the world means that the whole world, including every living man, woman, and child, needs Christ as their light, <clears throat> or they continue in darkness. There's no other way out of the darkness except through Jesus. There are no other options. Everything else is darkness. Again, we're going through John 8 as Jesus proclaiming himself to be the light of the world. Number three, Jesus as the light of the world means that the world was made for his light. The world was made for his light. This is clear from Genesis 1 and John 1. You see, you see I would argue that it was Jesus, the word, who said, let there be light. You see, you have the Father, you have the Spirit, and you have the Son. The Father, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the Father. The, the Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. There's the Spirit. And God said, let there be light. There's the Son, the Word. John makes that very connection. Said another way, Jesus is the creator of the world. Therefore, His light is the light of the world. There is no other light. He is the owner of the light. He is the owner of the owner of the world. I, didn't, I said that <laughs> wrong. He is the owner of the world. One was made for the other. Jesus' light reveals to, us all that, uh, reveals to us all that is ugly and all that is sin-scarred and broken about this world. His light illumines that. That's significant later as we get into the Ephesians 5. But His light also shows us the meaning of true beauty, which we only get a glimpse of now, right? But He will bring fully to light in the future. Number four, we've already seen this, but it bears repeating, that Jesus as the light of the world means that one day, this world will be filled with His light. Completely filled. We saw this. We saw this in Revelation 21. Now, 
we should also note that all works of darkness and all the sons of darkness will be cast out. You see, Jesus referred to hell as the outer darkness. Again, you see this motif of light and darkness. This place, this outer darkness that Jesus referred to is completely devoid of light. Specifically, it will be devoid of the light of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 12, and Matthew twenty two thirteen, and in Matthew 25, 30, that this will be a place where there is weep, weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, this will be a place of great despair which is reserved for the wicked. Now, let me say right, right here, that if you're not in Christ, if you do not have His light, if you stay in that position, you will be thrown into the place where there's no light for eternity. That is the truth of the Word of God. That is the light versus darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Back in John 8, 13, the Pharisees said to Jesus that his testimony about being the light of the world was not true. Significantly and tragically, they denied that Jesus was the true light of the world. In verse 23, it says, And he was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He. Who, Jesus? Messiah. The light of the world. You will die in your sins. So, if you don't believe Him, or believe in Him, you are of this world, and you will die in your sins unless you believe that He is the light of the world. It is that important. It's that crucial. In our modern lives, we don't want to hear this. Right? We don't want to hear that there's an outer darkness reserved for those who are wicked, for those who are not in Christ, but that is exactly what he's saying. In John 8.30, he says this significantly. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So there's the key. You must believe that He was sent from the Father and that He is the light of the world. And as such, He has offered His light to all who will believe. If you follow Him now, you will have Him as your light now. In the words of John Piper, he says this, 
fairly lengthy quote, but I think it's worth listening to. <clears throat> it says this, If you believe in Jesus, you will be given His light in advance of that great day. True, He, he will reveal your sins. Let me stop right there. And, I mean, if, you, if He gives you the light, that light is going to, going to reveal the darkness that's in you. He goes on to say, which is a precious gift like the fortunate early diagnosis of a deadly cancer. But even more, He will re reveal all that is beautiful. He will be the light in which you see God, the light in which you see the history of redemption and the work of salvation. He will be the light in which you see the mountains and the valleys and the oceans and the rivers and the trees and the animals and the people. Nothing will be the same again when you have Him as your light. Everything looks different in the light of Christ. Yes, even earthquakes and tsunamis and suffering and death. Amen? Amen? Even COVID looks different in the light of Christ. John Piper goes on to say, Until His light fills the earth as the waters cover the sea, until it banishes sin and sickness and pain and earthquakes to the outer darkness, until then, even now, His light will help you bear the sorrows of darkness. Is life not dark at times? Is life not lonely at times? Is life not even depressing at times? Even as Christians, we can struggle with these things. But if we seek after Him, if we follow Him, His light will help us bear these sorrows. Piper goes on to say, It will be a soft glow to comfort you in your lonely room after the devastating loss. Tim Challey has just lost his son, if you guys saw that just playing a game, young man in college, playing a game with his friends and passed out. They couldn't revive him. That quick. Gone. What do you think brings Tim and his wife comfort today? It will be a soft glow to comfort you in your lonely room after the devastating loss. It will be a lamp on your troubled path. It will reveal the wise and loving face of God behind every frowning providence. End quote. In John 12, verse 35, Jesus said these precious words of encouragement and warning. He says this, So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Now here's the truth that I want you to grasp from all of this. Jesus is the light of the world. When you believe in the light, He becomes your light. He illumines your path, and He paves the way to eternal life. 
when you follow Him, when you believe Him, when He becomes your wisdom, your path, He becomes everything that is beautiful to you. He has given you His life. And you become a son of light. And nothing can extinguish the light which He has given you. As Jesus Himself said, Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone hide, or that is, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You get the point? He's given us his light. And we are to shine that light brightly before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify the Lord who is in heaven. Now, with that, we have set the stage for our passage in Ephesians. Let me read Ephesians 5, verses 6-10. through Paul writes, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. You are light, that is, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We spend the rest of our time considering Paul's admonition to the church at Ephesus. I should remind you that Paul writes this letter, wrote this letter to encourage the church at Ephesus to continue preaching the gospel despite his imprisonment and the great difficulties the church itself is, pl- is facing. As I reminded you on several occasions, we must see Paul's suffering for the sake of the Gentiles as the backdrop of this letter. You see, the church at Ephesus is concerned about Paul and his suffering and his imprisonment for the sake of the Gentiles, but the church at Ephesus is probably facing great suffering as well. You see, that is part and parcel of becoming a believer in Christ and living in this dark world. You see, we must remember the world is full of darkness and it hates the light. The world hates the light because the light exposes what? Sin. Exposes sin. In John 3.19, Jesus said this, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That is an incredibly important statement 
the, the one who practices the truth, he comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as being wrought by God. You understand the light and the darkness and the separation, but that the darkness makes the light even brighter. So, if men hate the light, then they hate Jesus, right? Because he is the light. They hate Jesus who exposes their darkness. And they hate you because you are a son of the light. And they hated Paul, and they hated the church at Ephesus, and oh, by the way, they hate every church which preaches the light of Christ and shines as a light in the darkness. The reason they hate us, the reason they hate churches who preach the truth, is because they don't want their deeds exposed. Deeds of darkness. If we preach the gospel, the light of Christ, we will be hated by the world. Now here's the rub for the Ephesians. And oh, by the way, for us as well. We need to always remember, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <coughs> it, is, it is much easier to associate with the darkness than to walk in the light. Do you understand that? you understand why I would say that? It's much easier to associate with the darkness than to walk in the light. There isn't nearly as much conflict or suffering when we surrender to the darkness. But that's a problem. That's a huge problem when we're called to shine our lights into the darkness of this world. If we are part of the darkness, how are we shining our lights into the darkness? It doesn't work. See, it's not pleasing to Christ when His people associate in any way with the darkness. That's a problem for us, and it's a problem for the church at Ephesus, because as we shine our light, it creates problems because they hate the light. So our tendency in the flesh is going to be to what? Put that light under a basket or even associate with the darkness. In this passage, Paul gives two simple commands. Two simple commands, which will ensure that we are walking in a way that pleases our Lord. First, you must avoid the deception of the dis disobedient. Secondly, you must avoid darkness by walking in the light. Now let's look at the first the first command. This is where we'll, we'll get through this today and then we'll pick up on the next one next time. First, you must avoid the deception of the disobedient. That's verses 6 through 8. First part of 8, that is. Look at your text in verse 6. Paul writes, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, let me just say this. Some commentators connect this phrase with the previous section. Now, that connection with the previous section that we just finished last week is pretty obvious because in verses 3 through 5, Paul told the church that certain kinds of words are not fit for the church. So then in verse 6, He's saying, let no one deceive you with empty words. So again, we see that connection of language, the connection of words. 
You see, as a church, Paul has already told the Ephesus and, and us by extension that we are not to participate in silly talk and coarse jesting, but rather we are to use our words to give thanks to God. See, our words are not to be empty words, but they're to be words that are giving thanks. There are words that are effective words, if you will. So in 5.6, Paul tells the Ephesians to avoid being deceived by empty words. But I would argue that verse 6 and probably verse 7 form a transition in thought. And so you can apply them or you can attach them to the last verses or you can see them moving forward and pointing to the verses to come. Paul is certainly looking back at verses 3-5, through five, but I would argue that he's also looking forward to what is supposed to be our response to these situations, to those who are acting in these ways. Now, to understand chapter 5, verse 6, we need to consider who is the one who would deceive with empty words. Now, I would say that it is anyone who have themselves been deceived. Most likely, they are unbelievers. But they quite possibly could be believers who have been deceived for a season. Paul, though, makes the ultimate source of the deception very clear in the latter part of the verse. He says it's the sons of disobedience. These are unbelievers, for the most part. Ultimately, these are people who think that worldly living is of no consequence to the church or to the Christian. You see, unbelievers obviously live in, the, in this darkened state, but for the believer, we can fall for this deception at least for a time. In the words of Harold Honer, the commentator that I use for the, my study, he says this, Believers can be influenced by their culture so that what is acceptable in the world becomes acceptable in the church. Clearly, this is true in our own day where churches have bought into the world's ways, have they not? And have become a cheap imitation of the world. You get that? The church tries to be like the world, but it's no more than a cheap imitation of the world. But we are called to be, as a church, as the church, we are called to be different from the world. In the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts the world. The point is, said another way, the world doesn't need the world. It needs the light of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we are the light of Christ. Now back to Ephesians 5, 6. We are to let no one deceive us with empty words. You see, we are not like the world and we are not to be like the world. Anyone who tells us otherwise is speaking empty words. We are to let no one, whether outside the church or inside the church, deceive us into thinking anti-biblical, anti-biblical thoughts about the church and who we are. <coughs> As an example, the world preaches an ungodly unity that tells us to change what we believe. You see, 
according to the world, we can have unity if we don't preach the exclusivity of of Christ. Because preaching the exclusivity of Christ is divisive, right? But it's the only thing that brings true unity. We can only have true unity through Christ. Unfortunately, many churches are saying the same thing. That we can change the message, soften the message, change what we're saying, and just preach unity. Just preach unity. I'm reminded of the, there was a church, had a, a gate, iron gate, an arch. We preach Christ crucified, and the vines began to climb, and it just became we preach Christ. And the vines continued to climb, and it's just we preach. We have to preach Christ crucified. We have to preach the cross. We have to preach the exclusivity of Christ. Anything else is empty words meant to deceive us. Recently, I've been amazed to hear folks that I never would have dreamed surrender the gospel, yet they have. They have. They're speaking empty words of deception. Now, the word deceive means to mislead, probably intentionally. Similar to what the serpent did to Eve in the garden. His words were intentionally deceptive. And he was preaching or teaching or giving Eve empty words which were devoid of the truth. They may sound good, but they're useless and empty. Now there were probably those among the believers in Ephesus who had fallen back into their old ways. They were walking like the Gentiles. They were practicing immorality, filthiness, and were greedy. They were probably trying to say that everyone has an inheritance, that there is no judgment upon those who practice evil. But Paul is warning them not to participate with their talk. He's telling them not to be deceived by their words. They are to know the truth of the gospel. They are to know that the truth is in Christ. They are to know that they have been made a new creation in Christ. They have put off the old man and put on the new. They are to avoid this deception of the disobedience. You can't, you can't have it both ways. If you're in Christ, you have to live like you're in Christ. Anything else is a deception. Look at the last part of verse 6. He says, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This phrase is strongly worded. Paul wants to be clear here that the wrath of God, and we saw this earlier, the wrath of God is a very real thing. And it is coming upon those who are disobedient. Paul says, because of these things. 
He is speaking of those sins in verses 3-5, through specifically those who practice them. The immoral or impure person or the covetous man. These people have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And do not let them deceive you into thinking otherwise. Do not let them deceive you into thinking that you can live in disobedience and expect to have an inheritance with Christ. It doesn't work that way. Christian walk does not work that way. You see, we are called to walk in love. Love for God and love for others. We are not to partake in the deeds of darkness. You see, that's 5-7. Paul says, do not partake with them. Do not partake. Do not join them in any way. We are to keep our distance from those who intentionally sin in this way. Not to join with them. To denounce it. Now look at 5.8. He says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Or you are light in the Lord. Now we'll unpack this verse next time, but let me say generally this. Let me make a connection for you. According to Ephesians 2.1, says you were and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You see this connection to our current verses is undeniable. This was your life before Christ, but now you have been made alive in Christ. You have been raised up and seated in the heavenlies in Christ. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Therefore, we must not fall back to our old manner of life. It's his whole point. Ephesians 2.2 describes our old ways. Again, forming a connection. He says this, In which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You have the sons of light and you have the sons of disobedience. And we are not to associate with the sons of disobedience. Again, the connection to our current verses is undeniable. Those who are walking according to the course of this world will not underline, bold, italicize, will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. These are sons of disobedience. They are in the darkness. Therefore, as Christians, we must avoid the darkness by walking in the light. We'll look at this point next time I preach in three weeks, but the point is clear. You are, if you are in Christ, you are a son of the light. You are a son of the light. Let me finish with this encouragement by, or with John, the Apostle John, who writes in 1 John. 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light. Where have you heard that from? 
And in Him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, come on, John, you don't have to tell us straight. You don't have to beat around the bush, right? You can just be straightforward. No, really, he is being straightforward, right? He's saying there is no darkness in God. And if we have, if we have fellowship with him yet walk in the dark, say we have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we are liars. We're liars. Now let me make that clear. If your life looks like darkness, you don't have fellowship with Christ. It's as simple as that. And he says in verse 7, this is 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Let me speak to you personally as we close in on the end here. We very well may be approaching some difficult times in our nation. We've seen, I know for me, there's been relative peace in our lifetime. The church in the USA, the good old USA, has not suffered a whole lot for Christ, has it not? I would argue that this hasn't necessarily been a good thing for the church because persecution purifies. But let me encourage you that God is still on His throne even if and when we suffer. Many things that we see in this world can be unsettling, but God has not lost control. We need to trust Him. We need to trust the Gospel. God sent His Son to the cross to die for our sins. Salvation, reconciliation with God, and deliverance only come through the cross of our Lord. That's the Gospel. When we believe that Christ shed His blood to redeem us from our sins, we can fully trust Him. So what is the answer for the church as we approach these difficult days? Well, it's the same answer that Paul gave the church at Ephesus. As a church, we must pursue holiness. We must pursue Christ. We must walk in the light of Christ. He is the life of the church. When difficult times come, the tendency will be to pursue, pursue ease to fall away. The tendency for you and I is to feed the flesh. Not holiness. Not shining our light in the world. Our inclination will be to pursue the world. Our inclination will be to have fellowship with the darkness. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm haunted by Paul's words about 
a man named Demas in 2 Timothy 4. Paul, at the end of his life, writes to Timothy. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's all he says. That's all he says about it. But those are haunting words. Having loved this present world, pursued the darkness, chose not to shine the light. Church, are you ready to take up your cross and follow Christ? Are you prepared to suffer for Him? I don't know what the answer is. But I can tell you the answer may well lie in whether you're walking in the light now. Or whether you're walking in darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have sent your Son, the light of the world. That we may be sons of light. And we may, may shine our light into darkness. We know that one day the light will fill the earth. May you use us, your church, to shine light in this dark world. Father, we thank you that we can be encouraged that you are on your throne and that you are in control of all of these things and that the darkness will not overcome us no matter how bleak and difficult it looks. In Christ's name, amen.